welcome to the Danger Gnome. This is Tio Gomez. How are you? I have with me a listener and a uh, fat bike racer. His name is Adam Sabin, and he is uh, from out in South Dakota. Welcome to the show. Hey, Gomez. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for having me on the show today. So Adam contacted us. I had put a shout out out there to say, hey, what should we do our next shows about? And uh Adam contacted us and said he listened to the Fat Bike Berkey show and that he had just competed in a race called 28 Below out in the Black Hills that happened the same weekend and thought that we should talk about that race. So uh, that's what we're going to do. Sounds great. So 28 Below, uh, is it right in Rapid City? Where What trails are is it held at? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So it's actually, technically, I think um, it takes place, it starts in Savoy, South Dakota, which is about 10 miles straight south of Spearfish. So Spearfish is part of like the northern Black Hills, um, far western side of the state of South Dakota. Uh, there's a, a trifecta series that the, the organizers put on each year, which includes a fat bike race, a gravel race, and then a mountain bike race. Um, so this is the first in the series, uh, all based out of, you know, the Spearfish area. And it, the cool thing is actually it takes place primarily on snowmobile trails. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they're, they're quite backwoodsy, if you will, much different than your typical groomed golf course uh, racetrack. Um, you know, a lot of, lot of backwoods, you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere at times. Uh, undulating terrain, snow conditions can be quite unpredictable. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a great experience. Mm, cool. Spearfish, uh, and it's not like straight up grooming like what we think about in the Midwest or we see all the pictures from Marquette, et cetera. So it's uh, snow tracked in with snowmobiles. That's pretty pretty awesome. And then is it is it a how, – how long of a course? Is it a multiple lap course or how does it – what's the format? Yeah, so that's another awesome thing about the course or the race itself is that the, the course takes place over it's kind of like a lollipop loop. Uh-huh. Um, so you, you start off with about six miles of uh, you call it a climb, uh, more more like false flat, but you know, a kind of steady low grade climb up one of the canyon roads, mm-hmm. uh, and then that that road is closed to vehicular vehicle traffic in the winter time, so it's just open for snowmobiles. And then once you get off the road, you're on. Uh, in anywhere from three foot to eight foot wide snowmobile trails, trails kind of just depends on what the conditions are in the moment. Um, and then you're, you, from there you, you do like a big 20 mile, uh, loop around all the snowmobile trails. You, you peek out at this, uh, overlook called Cement Ridge where there's a, an old fire tower at the top. Uh, really cool, uh, beautiful views if you got time to take those in. And then you kind of make your way back around the loop and you descend back down the, uh, the, the canyon road to the, to the finish line. Um, and that, that, that descent back to the finish, you know, I say it's not really a climb because you're pedaling the whole time. You know, it's, you're still on snow. It's not a steep enough grade where you're coasting at all. You know, you're, you're still on the full gas for those last six miles down the canyon road. Um, and then, yeah, you come to the finish. So it's a 30-mile it's a lollipop course, um, quite different from, you know, traditional Midwest races uh, where, where you're doing, you know, maybe a six or seven mile lap around, uh, you know, crew course, wide, wide track. It's completely different than that. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, so, so South Dakota, that's not the Midwest anymore? <laughs> well, uh, no, I mean, not we, west we, of the Missouri, is it? <laughs> yeah, we still call ourselves part of the Midwest. It's, you know, maybe upper Midwest or, uh, you know, Great Plains region is often a, you know, yeah. 
common uh, term, but um, I still call it the Midwest. Yeah, I think it's technically the Midwest, but it's really the West. It really is like the gateway to the West. It is, yeah, for sure. Especially, I mean, that's the cool thing in South Dakota. You know, I'm, I'm in Sioux Falls, which is the east side of the state, where the plains are. It's real flat, wide open spaces. But then once you get out west where the Black Hills are, you really are in kind of the gateway to the mountains there. Um, you know, it's kind of a small pocket in South Dakota that's uh, very hilly, you know, all kinds of rugged terrain. Uh, and you, you start to feel like you're getting back into the, the great west out there. Gotcha. So I, I noticed you're, you have a 708 area code. I'm I'm uh, I'm, uh, I'm 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 a recovering Indonesian myself. <laughs> okay, yep, great way to put so, it. <laughs> did you did you spend some uh, some time in the greater Chicago met metropolitan area? Yeah, yeah. So a little bit of background. So I I grew up in Chicago area, uh, town of Lockport, Illinois. It's about forty minutes southwest of Chicago, right next to uh, Joliet, Illinois. Yeah. Um, so grew up there. Uh, was in. Illinois all the way through high school and kind of determined, you know, sometime midway through high school that, you know, if I had the chance to get out of Illinois for college, I would do so. Um, I actually grew up playing the sport of golf. So I played competitive golf my whole life growing up and then uh, got offered a, a golf scholarship to go play out in Colorado. So I uh, hopped on the first, uh, first jet I could to get, get out of Illinois and spent four years in Colorado after that. And, Spent a little bit more time back in Chicago and in, you know, after, in a couple of years after college, but um, tried try to try to minimize my time in Illinois. Great state, great people, but uh, you know, I just always felt the calling to more of like an outdoor lifestyle. And um, you know, it's tough with it when you're in kind of the concrete jungle of Chicagoland area. The the metropolitan area is just so expansive. You got to work pretty hard to, to find some seclusion out there. You were, you grew up pretty far out there, though. I grew up right next to O'Hare Airport. <laughs> Okay, yeah, very familiar, yeah. So, uh, okay, yep. Just playing River Trail. That's one of, I mean, it's actually one of the, the nice little pockets you can find is the, the DRT. You can feel like pretty secluded there, even though you're surrounded by uh, neighborhoods and metro area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, uh, the, I, when I think of Lamont, I think of uh, Starved Rock. Yeah, yeah, Starved Rock. Um, yeah, there's a trail called the Inam Canal Trail that goes. Yep. All the way from Lamont to Starved Rock and back, and and a town and, uh, it's, it's and, awesome. And a town that uh, in France they call Marseille, but in Illinois they call it Marseilles. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I never even thought about that. Yeah, it's, that's funny. So, uh, tell us more about this twenty-eight below. So, uh, it it was run the same weekend of of Fat Bike Berkey. Um, that's 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 something that could. I mean, in your original email, you said you know you want to make this a bigger deal. It's like, man, you got to choose another weekend because right. your, does your snow last until you know mid mid March or or you know what's your season like? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the, the, as far as the season goes, um, you know that that mid March is kind of the the very tail end of the shoulder season. Uh, I, I, I want to say the race took place on the last day that those trails had a good snowpack. The next day was in the 60s, and the whole week was, you know, sunny and warm. So, you know, we really got the last good quality day on snow out there. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of pushing the tail end. You never know. It's similar to, you know, out west. You can, you can get big dumps of snow late in March or early April. But as far as consistent snow where you can predict what conditions might be, uh, you're kind of pushing the limits there mid-March. Um, 
you know, I, this is my first year really taking on any fat bike races outside of a, a couple local races that I help organize here in Sioux Falls. Mm-hmm. Um, I helped help found the, the Sioux Falls Bike Race Series, which is a four-season race series that we do across multiple disciplines. And fat biking was one that we introduced a couple of years ago. Uh, so I, I hopped in a couple of those local races just to kind of dip my toes in, in the water. And uh, it was super fun. And, you know, so everyone had been ranting about this race out west and 28 below. So I figured I'd, I'd get out there this year, check it out. And it was just an awesome experience, you know, pulled the crowd of maybe, you know, close to 200 riders or so, you know, so pretty, pretty good size field. Yeah. Uh, a lot of locals, a lot, you know, a lot of, you know, people from the hills and uh, eastern part of the state here in Sioux Falls kind of flock out there. Uh, we get a handful of riders from Wyoming or Colorado, you know, some of those western states that might drive up a few hours to get there, but not too many that are flying in, you know, across the country for it. Um, it's just, you know, I would say more of a regional size race at and, this point. And the North Dakotans. Come on. Yes, yeah, you can't, can't forget the other Dakotans up there. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we, do get a, we do get a good crowd from, from them as well. They, they've got a nice race community up there. Um, they come down and support some of the races in South Dakota and we try to get up there when we can too. Um, they, they put on some great events up in North Dakota. Um, yeah, but yeah, so it's, you know, but, but again, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very small compared to something like that by Perky. Size doesn't necessarily translate into a better race. It just means Correct. more people to either be in the way of or get in the way of. Right? <laughs> yeah. Logistical nightmares you got to deal with. Yeah. Right. And, and tougher on the grooming. It's harder to get 2,500 people across a 30 mile course and not turn into mashed potatoes. Uh, totally. Yeah. You know what I think the, that fat bike racing needs is it needs regional races to channel riders into a meaningful national championship. Uh, and certainly you're like the location of Spearfish is perfectly located for a Northwest or North central quadrant, because it would seem like if we're going to do fat bike racing on snow, it's going to take the Northern half swath of the country East to West. Right. So Washington, Idaho, Montana, the Dakotas, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that's just, I'm just spitballing. I'm just, I'm just throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. But, you know, it's, uh, it, for us to have a true national championship, we should have the top five men and women from each region come and race for the national championship. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And, you know, for, for, uh, for example, for anyone, you know, anyone else in the Midwest that found their way out to Fat Bike Worlds this year, right. um, you know, I would say, you know, as far as participant scale wise, it was, you know, close to or similar to that size. Um, just maybe not quite the, the scale of the expo that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they put on a great event there. That was super fun. Um, but for anyone who's interested in just trying to do a different style of race, that's what, that's the cool thing about fat biking is you can get so many different uh, you know, styles of courses, you know, that, that course in, um, in New Richmond this year for Fat Bike Worlds was, you know, 30 feet wide, perfectly groomed, very hard packed, super fast paces. And this couldn't be further from that. You know, you're getting out into some unknown conditions, uh, some technical trail at times. Uh, you're, you're way out there. You feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. You're doing just, you know, one big loop. 
So it's just, it's another beautiful thing about fat biking is you can get so many different, you know, courses. And, and that's why you know, I'd love to see, you know, a race like the 28 below become more of like a destination type event for people, you know, who maybe don't know about it, but they want to travel to uh, some new terrain and, and see a new you know, race style. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great event to, to travel to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to talk with people from all over the U.S., uh, about big races and I mean Alaskans have a whole different idea about fat bike racing. <laughs> I mean uh they call races like we do down here riding around in circles. And certainly you you're not riding around you're only you know, you're riding a lollipop, a thirty mile lollipop. That's a that's a big difference than many of the races that that uh that we do here. I've I've always thought the Loppet was was the best way to run at least in our area so you run a ski race and then when all the ski racers are off you run them out you run a fat bike race um okay sure so those two things do make for uh you know all those skiers go across you run 2,000 skiers across a skate course it turns into a really well-groomed fat bike course although you don't get the kind of mountain biking terrain and trail features that necessarily make everyone happy, right? Um, sure. Um, so it's an interesting evolution. It's such a new sport where they're trying. It's, it's still sorting itself out. And there. Yeah, and you know, it seems like it's. Um, and I don't know. Maybe maybe you know better because you're a little bit more involved with the industry than I am. But it seems like it's somewhat making a resurgence right now. Um, seems more popular than ever in the Midwest, at least. You know, a lot of participants still are, uh, you know, heavily involved in fat biking in the wintertime. And, and it, it could just be me, you know, kind of new and just, you know, novel side of the sport for me. Um, but it's, it's good to see, you know, it's good to see that there's competition taking place year-round, even in these northern states uh, where you wouldn't think so otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's... I don't know what the bike industry, it seems like the bike industry wants you to own several different bikes and wants you to put away your fat bike for the summer. I, I personally have such a high-end fat bike. It's the lightest mountain bike in my quiver of of bikes. It's lighter than my gravel bike. It's lighter than uh, than all of my 29 or my 29 or rigid. It's lighter than my single, speed. it's lighter than my single speed bike. Um, so I, I just think that buck the trend. If you like the way your fat bike rides, you don't have to buy, you don't have to buy a gravel bike to ride gravel. Cause every, yeah, every I completely agree. Yeah. 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 I completely agree. So we're going to, uh, hopefully get, Perry and Christy Jewett on the phone. They're the uh, the race organizers be behind the Pine Island Gravel Odyssey, the Dakota Five O. That we should say, like the world famous Dakota Five O, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and the Twenty Eight Below. So it's uh it's going to be uh, interesting to talk to them about where that's at, and uh, we have like a common thread because. Uh, Corey Stelgis, four-time Fat Bike Berkey champion that w- was on our last show, is also the four-time uh, Dakota 5-0 champion. 
So yes, yeah, he's he's somewhat of a of a legend at that race at this point. Um, I've been lucky enough to race against him, uh, you know, quite a few times over the last year or so, and you know, in, in different settings, you know, mountain bike, fat bike, now cyclocross in the in the fall time, um, and he's just a great all all around racer. And it's it's been great to see him. You know, it's it's not an easy trek to come all the way out from Wisconsin all the way across the state to. Uh, the Dakota 5.0, but he usually brings, you know, a couple guys with him too. And it's, it's great to just have uh, someone like that, you know, come, coming out to, to the event consistently. Um, but yeah, Chris, Chrissy and, and Terry are both, um, you know, they're great individuals and they, they put on amazing events and they just have so much passion for the community and, and what they do to, to help just promote the uh, the bike race scene in, in the Black Hills. And, and they just love to, to yeah, to just to just love on other people, you know, they, they just welcome everyone and anyone to come to their events, and uh, they won't let you leave without at least shaking your hand or giving you a hug or something. Mm, cool, and it is a mountain bike paradise, the Black Hills. Uh, I have not been it out is. there in the winter time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, put this on my list of places where I have to go in the winter and ride a fat bike. So, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, if you can plan it right and you can come out for you know a handful of days. Um, you know, there's lots of good groomed single track as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, the race course for the 28th below doesn't, doesn't have really any true single track in it. But, you know, some of the conditions end up forming single track, if you will. But, um, but they do have a whole trail network that's, that's groomed um, by, by the Grooming Alliance up in Spearfish area. And they, they just have some amazing trail conditions up there. Um, so, yeah, you definitely got to check that out. You got to add a couple days to your calendar. Uh, if you're coming out to visit, maybe on the front or back end, just check out some of those other groom trails. Nice. The other thing that I noticed, and we uh, made me think about it as we talked to Corey about some of his other interests, but I see that you're also an endurance coach. Yes. Yeah, that's something that I've added to, um, yeah, to my resume for about a year now. Uh, I got started coaching, uh, began with just a couple local clients here in Sioux Falls. Um, and then over the last year or so has grown and I, I partner with a coaching company that's based out of, uh, kind of the East coast called ignition coaching. Um, and I've got, got athletes all over the country now. Uh, and it, it's awesome. Uh, it's something I'm trying to continue to build at this point. It's become uh, more than just a side hustle now. And it's something that I'm putting a lot of focus and, and emphasis on these days. So in about 10 days, I'm supposed to race 73 miles and probably the longest ride. And I, and I ride, six days a week around a hundred miles or eight hours in the saddle a week. Um, okay. so the longest ride I've done is like 40 miles in the last month. Um, but in general, I'm like an hour plus rider most of those days. And then I maybe get one big one in. Am I ready for 73 miles? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're riding that consistently, um, yeah, 73 miles, you'll, you'll be able to handle that. No problem. Biggest thing: the longer the ride gets, the more food you got to eat, the more water you got to drink, and hydration you got to take in. So that's what I would focus on if I were you. Is you know maybe over the next week or so, those hour-long rides, make sure you're eating something. Um, you know, just get used to that practice of taking something in as often as you can and um, seeing what your body can handle. But um, yeah, if, if you're a consistent rider, you'll have no problem. You just got to make sure you're feeling it. Cool. So, do you uh, what? What do you eat when you're on the bike? Are you a science diet person or are you um, a real food person? You know, so actually that's a, that's a great question because it, it, I actually had to do some experimenting with it this, 
this winter with the fat bike because frozen bottles were new to me. Right. Um, and, and, you know, so and bars are almost yeah, impossible are almost, to eat. Yeah. Everything gets harder. You know, the, the chews, you can forget about those. I mean, those are just, you know, impossible unless you just, you know, put them in your mouth and, um, you know, let them melt for a while. Um, but it, it is definitely a, a, you know, a, a new experience for me to, to try and figure out how to approach nutrition in the, in the winter time. Uh, last year I was pretty primarily getting most of my fueling from liquid nu- nutrition. So, you know, high calorie, high carbohydrate drink mixes, but if, if there's any risk of your bottle freezing in the winter time, you can't have that be your only source. So I, I actually switched away from that this winter. Um, and, and, you know, brought hydration with me, you know, put some scratch in there, or, you know, any kind of hydration mix in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was primarily getting all my calories from, uh, I, I found that gels were the best. You know, that if, if, if you were, uh, you know, taking in a gel, it might solidify a little bit, mm-hmm. but not to the point where you couldn't get it down. Um, you know, you can squeeze out the gel usually from the pack. Um, so I was, I was resorting to that. And the, the hard part with that, though, is you've got gloves on now. Um, I didn't run pogies for most of the races I did this year just because I uh, wanted a little bit more freedom with my hands. Um, and I was felt claustrophobic inside those pogies sometimes. Um, so but you got gloves on, so you got to figure out, okay, how am I going to get my gel out of my pocket? So I usually ran a top tube bag just to have ease of access to all my gels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, count them out ahead of time. You know, if it's a three-hour race, I'm going to bring probably – eight or nine gels with me. So I've got, you know, a couple extra if needed. Um, a, a key kind of pro tip though that I found, and, and maybe this is something you already do, but um, I would put near boiling water in my bottles to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I pretty much take boiling water, put it in a canteen, drive up to the race about an hour later, it's still, you know, scalding hot, put it in my bottles, knowing I'm not going to need it for the first 15, 20 minutes anyways. Right. And then, um, you know, that way further into the race, I still got access to, to at least some kind of, uh, hydration. Um, and luckily for the 28th below, it, it never got cold enough that my bottles froze. Um, but they did freeze at, at when I was out at Fat Bike Worlds. Um, by the end of that race, both my bottles had frozen over because it was quite cold that day. I think it was in the, the teens. Yep. That, um, I was there. So, after, so we, yeah, were, so we after were an hour and a half, it was cold. We were at the same place. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, you know, it was, it's, it's a learning experience. You know, I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, maybe there are different bottles out there that, that help to, you know, retain some of that heat better. I, I was using insulated bottles, but I don't, I haven't, you know, looked into seeing if there's better insulation uh, bottles out there. Um, but yeah, there's you know, it's, there's it's, products it's out new. there that uh, like bar mitts makes a bottle mitt that you put a chemical, okay. put a chemical tow heater in there and, you're good for a few hours. So. Oh, that's interesting. That, that is interesting. Um, you know, a tip that I saw Corey and uh, another uh, Wisconsin guy, Isaac Neff, they, they, they were running bottles in their back pocket underneath like a, oh, yeah. you know, maybe a jacket or something. Sure. Um, and after the race, you know, I was asking them about it and they said that that's one way to keep it uh, from freezing is to, you know, you're, you're kind of using that body heat, trapping the body heat against the bottle. Um, and they somewhere in the middle of the race, they swapped out that bottle. Um, cool. I'm that's something that I guess I'm gonna, keep in mind. I'm going to try some. My race is May 6th or 7th. It's up in northern Wisconsin, but I, I'm going to try some uh, liquid as opposed to bars because I'm a I'm a RX bar guy. That's 
kind of what, okay, I, sure. what I eat. And uh, it's just too hard trying to ride fast pace and eat and breathe. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, it's, it's hard to get it out of the package. Then you put it in your mouth and you're choking on it because it's, you know, dry or whatever. And you're, you know, breathing yeah. real heavy. It, 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 it can be quite difficult. So, I mean, I think the nutrition, uh, you know, the, the liquid nutrition has been kind of a game changer over, over the last, you know, five, 10 years that's become more prominent. Uh, it's just way easier for any off-road racing. Well, cool. Well, thanks for uh, allowing us to give you a chat about the 28 Below and about other things. We appreciate you listening to the show. And now you're on the show. <laughs> yeah, this has been great. You know, and I, I, you know, part of what I was hoping to, uh, you know, do with this was bring a little bit more exposure to the race. And you know, I, I'd love to see it grow to the point where maybe in the future the, the, the 28 Below doesn't overlap with a, a, a big race like that by Berkey because, uh, I selfishly want to do both of those races now. Uh, Fat Bike Berkey's on the radar for future years at this point. So, um, hate to, you know, not get to return to 28 below, but, uh, you know, it'd be a tough decision if, if, you know, if in future years had to choose between the two, but it'd be great if they were both, you know, had enough exposure, um, that, you know, they could be on separate weekends. Yeah. Heck yeah. You don't want to make it get so popular that there's a lottery for you to get into your race. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, and I don't think that I don't think it would it would grow to that point. Um, you know, and I don't think the trails, like you, you mentioned earlier, I don't think the trails would accommodate a huge influx of uh, you know participants. But um, you know, at least with you know, if, if it grew enough prominence that um, you know there was a little bit of notoriety, then maybe it could uh, you know prevent the, the overlapping of those two events. But um, if not, you know, you can't go wrong either place. Um, from what I hear, I haven't done that like Berkey, but I've done Schwamigan, you know, similar kind of experience. And, uh, you know, it sounds like it's, they're, they're both unique experiences in their own ways. Well, right on. Appreciate you being on. Next up, we're going to have Perry and Christy Jewett, and they're going to talk about all three of their races, the Pine Island Gravel Odyssey, the Dakota 5.0, and 28 Below. And that's next on the Danger Gnome Podcast. The official rack of the Danger Gnome Podcast is 1UP USA. When I see a truck with a 1UP USA rack, I know that the rider knows what's up and cares about their bike. 1UP everyone with a rack from 1UP USA. Hey, welcome back to the Danger Gnome Podcast. Our next guest are the couple behind the Ridge Riders of the Black Hills Mountain Bike Club, and they are the host of the 28 Below Fat Bike Race, the 10th Annual Pine Island Gravel Odyssey on June 11th, and the 22nd Annual Dakota 5.0, September 4th. Christy and Perry Jewett. Thanks, Gomez. It's an honor to be on your uh, on your show. Yes, thank you for having us. So, Adam, he had suggested that we talk to you about the twenty-eight below, uh, twenty-eight below race. That's the fat bike race. So, so let's start there. Uh, maybe tell our listener everything he ever wanted to know about the twenty-eight below race, but was afraid to ask. <laughs> well, okay. Well, you you listed off our other races. Um, we just hosted our ninth annual uh, twenty-eight below in March, and. Um, it, we have it later in the year, um, but it's gone off really well. We've had a lot of snow. Um, this year was another snowy year, but uh, originally nine years ago, it was called the Savoy Winter Challenge, and um, 
it was always the same course, essentially a 28 mile course mm-hmm. that goes um, from South Dakota up into Wyoming to the uh, Cement Ridge Fire Lookout, where we have an aid station, the Chicken Noodle Soup Aid Station, nice. with other libations. But um, yeah, it's a demanding 28 mile, now 30 mile because of some course changes in the nine years, but it's a, a 30 mile um, on snowmobile trails. Um, mm-hmm. permitted by the Forest Service, uh, fat bike race, you know, and when you're on snowmobile trails, you get um, a variety of conditions. And in March in South Dakota, you can get everything from gravel to mud to killer snow biking. Um, and that's uh, generally what we've had in the nine years is really good conditions. Luckily, we've uh, been blessed with that. Uh, the first two years when it was the Savoy Winter Challenge, we had a ski bike run we've never done that we've always been full cyclists at our events no running events but uh, the first two years we did have a ski option not everybody had fat bikes in 2014 and 15 we wanted participants we had a uh, great trails outside of the um, expo for um, skiing mm-hmm. so we did offer a uh, five-mile ski race those first two years, which was kind of interesting and out of our um, element just a little bit, but it was really fun. So uh, those first two years we had that. Um, we've always we've always had around 100 riders to up to 200 riders, and it's, it's, it's grown over the years slightly between 1 and 200. It's continued to grow by a couple here and there. Nice. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's based out of Spearfish Canyon right above uh, Spearfish, South Dakota. And, um, you know, originally when we proposed this to the Forest Service um, to get a permit, um, we wanted to go for an ultra event. We were hoping to do uh, a hundred mile, more of an ultra type, but uh, they wanted us to start out with something a little shorter and a one day event. So um, they only permitted us for this 30 mile course. And we've been happy with that since just the logistics of doing an ultra um yeah, we're, it's we're a talking. it's a whole different animal when you get into an ultra. You have to have, you have to have like manned checkpoints and uh, yeah, and it's and you're gonna have people out there for a much longer period of time. Exactly. So um, I'm really happy that we got kind of stuck with this shorter course because between all of our other events, we um, use a lot of volunteers. So like you said, just the demandingness of that. So. It's ended up being a good number. It's plenty challenging. Like all of our events, we kind of like to challenge riders. We want to give them something to train for. Um, so it, it, it's plenty long at, at the 30-mile range and a 3,000 feet of climbing on snow. You know, some years it's, it can be faster than others, but uh, generally they get a very demanding uh, day out there. Yeah. Have you ever had conditions where it's a death march, mashed potatoes, just nasty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we have. Yeah. Um, I think it was 2019, a couple of years ago, we had a uh, record snow, 36 inches, uh, three days before the event. Um, oh, the, state the state groomers were supposed to get out, but they got drifted in. So um, the course did not get groomed the night before, as it always has. So uh, the one year we had to shorten the course to a nine mile out and back. uh uh-huh. And it was, you know, nine miles of climbing out. And then the turnaround was still so snowy, mashed potatoes. So many people had um, churned it up that um, walking back down the downhill. So that was a death march year. Um, 
you know, but that we luckily we shortened it to nine out and back. So, uh, they got their feel. That's the only year that, um, we haven't done the full loop mm-hmm. in the nine years. So, um, just that one year we had, a. a a death march you could say but uh, there's been other years on the full 30 miles that by the end of the day it's getting soft on the return to town it's muddy the snow had melted at the bottom mile and um they came in pretty muddy on several years that's awesome yeah and you know for i'd just like to say to our listener out there tony uh that is fat bike racing oh yeah <laughs> we like to joke that we have just one listener but we have at least two or three thanks tony <laughs> Tony's out there. Shout out to Tony every show. Yeah. So uh, this year's and last four years winner has been our friend Corey Stelges. Oh yeah, for the five O, the Dakota five O. Oh, Dakota five O. Sorry, I jumped. No, he he doesn't do this race. There you go. No. Yeah, this falls there. over the Berkey weekend. I know a lot of uh, folks from your area are are all over the country are at the Berkey and, um, yeah, I think the last couple of years we've fallen on their weekend and we've gotten, um, some requests to move our date. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, we never originally thought we would be competing with them. It's just a different option. And, um, yeah. the forest service and the lodge are kind of the main reasons we have to keep that date. We've kind of tried switching it before, but we've already got our permits in for the next few years. So I'm not sure we would be able to change the date there. Yeah. The, uh, the, I know you haven't listened to, no one's listened to the interview I did with Adam, uh, but we talked about how these races, both of those races are really should be some sort of regional qualifier for a real fat bike national championship. You know, one that is supported by races that feed to it. Um, sure. the question is the the problem is, is we run out of snow conditions unless you go, <laughs> could we hold the U S national fat bike championships up in the tundra of Canada, the Yukon sure. territories? We could do it in, in Alaska, but it would be, you know, it's hard to get hard. people to move that far. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long way up there. And, Oh, we should be able to find a spot down here, but that late in the season, it gets iffy. You know, maybe ours could be a qualifier for the the next year. That that's a that's a possibility. Yeah, sure. and you know, snow conditions are good at elevation, but then you kind of handicap all of the flatlanders, right? That can't acclimate to the thin air. Yeah, no, that's, that's we're not that high. We, you know, the highest point on our course is about. 6,600 feet at the Cement Ridge Fire Lookout, just yeah, a few miles down Wyoming. No more centrally located uh, late season snow than the middle of the country here. So uh, we'll have to see. No. Someone smarter than me will figure it out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'll just get to report on it. Yeah, we're there for them if they decide to do it. You know, we're, we like to see people show up to the Black Hills and show off our uh, unique terrain and environment here. So. I love, the, I love the Black Hills. One of my earliest childhood camping trips with the parents in their in their old Dodge van was to the Black Hills, and I've been back several times. And I'd love to come out for this race because, in general, mm-hmm. I I haven't been going to uh, up to the Fat Bike Berkey. I've been busy doing other things, but um, I'm going to put Wait. this I'm going to put this race on on my. Uh, 
on on my calendar for for 23 um and that would mean that i am going to be a winter sports vacationer going to the black hills which is yeah. kind of the well, well, the next thing i wanted to ask you about is like what other like where are the i know spearfish canyon is is legendary what other uh what other facilities or or like trail centers uh are in the black hills that i should ride while i'm there well we've got a uh, we've got groomed trails right from our venue um near savoy and spearfish canyon that we have a uh, group of uh, group here in spearfish that call themselves gas grooming alliance of spearfish and they groom fat bike specific trails um just right outside of Spearfish Canyon. Um, they groom over some of uh, the Dakota 5-0 course in the winter. Mm-hmm. And we've got, oh, approximately 12 or 15 miles of um, really good groomed trail system. Awesome. Fat bike specific. Um, you know, also there's walkers and such that use those trails. They're open to non-motorized users in general, like most places. And uh, there's also a really good uh, Nordic trail system at Big Hill. Um, they overlap with some of the fat bike trails. Um, so there's good Nordic skiing, there's fat biking from the gas, um, grooming, and there's also two other Perry Peak ski area. There's a ski hill right close. This is all within a uh, you know 15 or 20-mile radius from Spearfish to access these winter sports it's kind of um in the northern hills this is we're in the snow belt outside spearfish between spearfish and the famous deadwood mm-hmm. so um there's all those activities plus you know all the popular uh black hills sightseeing um even in the winter it's gorgeous to see uh you know some of the famous sites mount rushmore devil's tower and uh, crazy horse and some of those other popular areas so there's, in the winter, there's uh, there's plenty to do for you and your fat bike besides just taking in the 28 below if you come visit. Um, we, and on our website, we list out some of the attractions to see why you're in town. Cool. But yeah, the gas does a good job of, um, of of grooming for your fat biking. So if you do come here, you know, you have several days worth of exploring um, just on fat bike specific groom trails. I think I follow the Grooming Alliance of Spearfish on the uh, interwebs there on, on the Instagram. So, yep. I've seen, I've seen your name on there. So, uh, let me ask this, uh, since we're in the fat bike part of, of our interview, um, Perry, what fat bike do you ride? Um, I'm currently on the Y cycles, big iron. Oh, yeah, mm. that, I could, I kind of, I kind of got the want for that bike. That that bike, that bike uh, stirs me. I, yeah, yeah, I, I like that bike. Yeah, I've got the 2018. I've got uh, six thousand miles on that bike. Um, what kind of wheels the, are you running in the in the fat? Oh, mode? Oh, I got the I, I like fat. I like the the wide. Uh, let's see the head. Um, you know the 85 mil head carbon wheels oh, with. Nice. The, tires you know and so I, I like a wide setup the big iron is capable of riding some of the widest setups um and it's been a great bike i like the uh lower top tube with the swag in it for standover and it's just a really comfortable bike the adjustable dropouts come in handy 
I ride that bike a lot in the summer with 29 plus for um, touring. Oh, cool. So it's been a very versatile bike between the 29 plus with 2.8 in the summer and then as fat as I can get in the winter. Um, yeah, and that's, an, that's a good indicator right there that you're running you know, the biggest tires uh, on fat wheels that how much snow you guys get. We do. Yeah. Yeah. I like to go off, off the trails, you know, and explore a little bit. So, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to IPI next year for the first time doing the 350 signed up this year. So I'm pretty excited. I'll be looking for maybe some 26 by 100 mil rims for that yeah. event and yeah. going just a little wider and going back to 26 with the biggest setup I can get. So right on. yeah. Yeah. Christy, do you know what fat bike you got? Uh, uh fat back Corvus. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I'm somewhat familiar with 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 that bike. Yeah, yeah, they uh, sponsored our race for a couple of years and gave away a frame, and so they gave us a nice deal on a bike, and I love it. Fantastic. Uh, what color is is your Corvus? Mine is black with kind of a neon greenish lettering. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know, I know that exact bike. I spent uh, a like a six month period riding that exact bike. And that's what convinced me to buy, uh, yeah. to buy 10 beers. Have you named your bike? Uh, you know, I haven't, I that's actually right. don't. Not my everybody bike. names their bike. <laughs> <laughs> it's an inanimate object, you know, <laughs> so it doesn't really deserve a I name. Uh, well, cool. Uh, so, uh, now let's switch gears over to I can't believe ten years you've been running a gravel race. So you had to be like your point of the spear of the whole gravel movement. It's called the Pine yep. Island Gravel Odyssey. And it, Correct. Yeah. We're at, mm-hmm. Well, it's just you know, and that's just adds to our uh, repertoire of you know fat biking and gravel and mountain and, and the black hills we have world-class riding whether it's on snow gravel or uh, you know trails so I, I it's just natural that we offer this I was riding gravel in the shoulder season I was as a mountain biker never a big fan I you know, you're like oh we're gonna ride to the trails we got gravel to ride and oh that's a gravel grinder so it was had a negative you know as I got older mm-hmm. and wanted to explore further I started falling in love with gravel, and um, so I decided to host events. It's world-class riding. You can get to different locations, and so, uh, yeah, we, we decided to roll that rat race out 10 years ago, and uh, it's been popular and been really fun since. We've had all the same courses this, in, this, in the 10 years, and uh, we hope to shake it up a bit in the future with some new courses, but um, the ones we, we have, we offer four distances for the, mm-hmm. the Odyssey, and uh, Last year, we added a shorter course. Like I said, we always have demanding courses, but uh, we added a 45-mile course okay. that we allow e-bikes on, our first e-bike course. Oh, and, nice. uh, yeah, it, it, we had six or seven show up last year for that, in the e-bike division of the 45-mile. We also have a 70-mile course and 110 and mm-hmm. 200. Yikes. Uh, yeah. So, uh it can It has to be there. There's because there's a trail there called, and it's gonna. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take a shot. Is the Centennial Trail? Am I yeah. close? Oh, yeah. okay. You're on it. Yeah, there you close. go. <laughs> so that has to be some of what you're riding, right? At least in the 200, because you got to. Um. Nope. Nope. No? You're thinking the, the the Centennial Trail here in the Black Hills is a single track trail that goes. Oh, that's uh, the Dakota, Dakota Five O. He probably uses some of that, but. 
you're probably thinking of the Mickelson Trail, That's maybe it. the rails. Yep. yep. Mickelson Trail. Yep. And we do use uh, 13 miles of that in the 210 mile course. There's 13 miles of the Mickelson Trail. Again, that's 110 mile uh, rails to trails, the Mickelson. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, worth a visit, you know, non motorized, obviously, rails to trails, several tunnels. The 13 miles we use during our event um, utilizes some of those yeah. tunnels. We go uh-huh. through about three tunnels and over probably six or seven bridges. Mm-hmm. Cool. Kind of a pretty little stretch. Yeah, it adds a little uh, variety to the, to the event or to that 210 mile course. We also have checkpoints that are in pseudo ghost ghost towns rochford where the moonshine gulch saloon is it's population maybe 13 mm. the moonshine gulch where you check in is from the 1800s it's mm-hmm. an actual same bar the crooked floors the dust i mean it's old school really cool place um cool. in the so that's one of our checkpoints um they're all pretty remote the three checkpoints are at um Oh, just backwoods old mining towns, essentially, where you can resupply, get a burger and a beer or, you know, candy bar to going. So um, they're out there ways. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's on the Mickelson, that portion. We do utilize some of that trails to trails. Very cool. And how much uh, in the 200, how many feet of climbing, approximately? 12,000. Oh, oh. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> yep, 12,000. <000. laughs> It makes for a long day. I, I think our, you know, we've had the course records of just a little over 12 hours. And um, generally people are out there for uh, 21 hours to finish that. We, we have a, we have it set up on a 10 mile per hour average um, for the cutoff time, you know, depending on where you're at in the course, the first 70 miles are basically all climbing. <laughs> yeah. And then it kind of rolls after that. And um, so, uh, it makes for a long day for us. You know, we, the other three events, we have the award ceremony, the afternoon for the, the 45, 70, and 110. We wrap up that award ceremony. We go over and uh, wait on the finish line and greet all the 210-mile finishers until, you know, maybe uh, 2 in the morning when the cutoff time is. And then the next day, for those long people, we have another award ceremony on Sunday morning just for the 210. So it makes mm-hmm. for a big weekend for Christy and I. And uh and some of our volunteers out there. But uh, this year we're going to put uh, the 210 mile um, on track leaders, which will be a little bit more interactive for um, family and friends that are wondering where their people are. It'll make us make it easier for us to uh, monitor riders while they're out on that remote 210 miles. It's very, most places in the hills, like at least on these courses, there's very little cell service. Right. So it's been um, kind of a, a big task to keep these riders safe, keep an eye on them and also keep people off the course so that they can enjoy it on their own and have that experience. So I think track leaders will make it kind of fun for people across the country to see where these riders are at and loved ones and the race directors. Yeah. Yeah. Out in the middle of the night with, uh, in, and that's in June, right? Correct. Yeah. So all the all the big predators will be out out, out of their oh, tents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we've had some sighting. <laughs> There's been mountain lion sightings on course. Um, jumped over on that Nicholson Trail. Mountain lion jumped over the railroad grade um, over in front of a rider. There was another mountain lion on the 45 mile course last year that yeah. Gal ran into and had a little scare. But yeah, he made it through. She, the, this lion actually had two cubs with it too. Yikes! Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow. Yeah, because yeah, that's wild country, man. That's mm-hmm. It is. Oh, yeah. Elk, 
They often see elk in the high country on the 210 mile race. And we had our first bear sighting. Was it last year? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, the, the most, the most injury prone wild animal is the, the American bison because people think, Oh, I'll just stand next to this big Buffalo and get a picture. And yeah, they can, they're, they're ornery wild animals at times. They're like, get out of here. With yeah, we do have bison in the black, you know, in the Black Hills. That's very in the Southern Hills. You know, Custer State Park is you encounter them frequently down there, and uh, they're scary. You know, once you know what they can do and how fast they can run, you do not mess around with uh, a close encounter with that animal. And wild <laughs> asses. <laughs> I, remember, yeah, they, yeah. I remember the wild asses being very fond yeah, yeah. of uh, wanting to eat our granola bars. Yeah. Yeah. Custer State Park, yeah, they're Custer they're down there as well. Yep. Well, and that brings us to the granddaddy. The the is it the oldest Black Hills mountain bike uh, race? The Dakota Five O. Well, ongoing certainly. I mean, we've had races here in the hills since the you know mid eighties. <clears throat> you know, and the Ridge Riders Mountain Bike Club was formed in eighty five, and by Wes Heiserman, and uh, he was kind of my mentor. I was. 13 years old when I went to my first mountain bike race Um, and I worked for the Ridge Riders. I took a BMX bike to a mountain bike race and uh, 1985 and had my Harrow master there and I was trying to ride the course. I was a volunteer and I watched the gate and uh, and there was a huge mud puddle everybody was riding around and so I didn't think that the, that was right. So I made a barricade so that all the riders had to ride through this huge mud puddle. And, <laughs> and that's kind of how I got started mountain biking. Um, that was 85. Next year, I came back as a 14-year-old with a mountain bike, and I've been racing ever since. And helping out the Ridge Riders, you know, I went up through the ranks as a junior all the way to expert and traveled around the country racing and then helping Les put on races. And so I kind of learned from him. And... Um, as I got older, uh, I did a race in Laramie. Um, what was that race the called? Laramie Enduro. I think. Yeah, that was like 98. I went to Laramie Enduro with um, Tim Rangich from Acme Bikes and Rapid and his wife and did this 50-mile race. It started downtown Laramie, um, went up into the hills, had a great finish. I loved the idea of starting in town, and uh, that got the juices turning. I'd been building trails and working on different links out of Spearfish. and thought I had a 50 mile course that I could put together after I did the Laramie Enduro. So I came back and started working on finishing this route, um, that I trails I built or kicked sticks out of the way or been riding. And I proposed it to the forest service, uh, came up with the route and, um, in 2001 rolled out the first, um, Dakota 50 miler starting on, you know, downtown Spearfish and uh, three miles climb of gravel to get to the single track at the Forest Service boundary. And uh, the, the course has kind of evolved since. It's, you know, we've made improvements. We've done more trail work over the years, but that's kind of how the 50 started was um, just a vision of going to another race and coming home and being like, oh, I can do this. So that was really my first race that I hosted. I'd, I'd been racing up until 2001. Christy and I had a daughter and then I became more of a race director than a racer. Mm-hmm. I feel avidly, but, um, I've been kind of focused on race directing, um, and improving the Dakota five Oh ever since. And it, it's evolved a whole bunch in 22 years. But as far as I know, it's one of the older races in the country. I mean, there's 
several that are out there that have been doing it as long, but um, 22 years has been a, a, a pretty good run and I'm proud of the event it's turned into. Yeah. Everything, I, everything that I've heard about it and uh, all of the friends that I've had that have gone have said, this is, this is an event that you should go to and that it's the, it's the, I always say, you know, it's like, a, it's a grassroots. That's, that's a adjective that I, that I use, but what does that mean? It means that, you know, that I say the best events make you feel like you belong to something, belong to a, a tribe or, or a cultural movement, right? That there's, the ride. yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's, that's my Without ever ever being there, that's my feeling of what I've been told about about the Dakota Five O. And I have a bunch of friends that go there that are, uh, you know, the cool cats that I know that that are also a couple of them are from the Dakotas. Um, Tom Everson, Hurl Everstone, that that cat, that's the first yeah. guy that I had heard of that goes and did that race fairly often. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Yep. Yeah, he was. He's a good friend of ours. He's he. You know, he brought out the rest of that tribe, what we call the Minneapolis Mafia. There you go. Yeah. 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 yeah the Mafia would show up with Hero and Gino and um, Zito and a whole list of other riders, men and women, and uh, they would invade our town. It was uh, legendary back in the very first years. They would come in. The Mafia would skid into town, and it would be a ruckus. They'd set up camp in our yard. Um, we're like, Oh, our daughter, you know, let's be appropriate guys here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pants everywhere, twister late at night. They would be going to the Salvation Army and getting outfits on their single speeds and um then racing in these outfits and wearing them all weekend around town. And uh they definitely put some flavor and uh brought the single speed party to the event and um it was it was really fun in those early days having them in our yard, you know, tell for the first couple of years, it, would be, it grew from, you know, three or four tents to 20-some tents, and then um, our septic system got blown out, and then they had to go to, we moved the mafia down to the city park, which is right near the um, start. We have a beautiful campground right in the city that's just a short ride from the start venue, the, so that, that's been kind of nice, too, having this city campground and but yeah, Hurl was definitely part of that. And there's several other legends of the sport that uh, continue to come back. And um, I think that, like you said, uh, grassroots events, this is very much one. We like to keep the grass in the roots. And Christy and I mostly hosting this and doing all of it since day one with um, a whole army of volunteers. But um, um, we couldn't do it without the volunteers. But really, it's Christy and I the day of the event and <clears throat> uh, starting it all the way to the awards ceremony and um, we like traditions so I think you know Smokey Bear's always been there to start it I was a wildland firefighter and Smokey Bear's been there every year and some of the traditions that people expect um, are still ongoing the bacon station and um, some of those things that have gotten really popular over the years at other races might have started here and a truly rugged course uh, that I've, I've ridden some some of the trails that the that Centennial Trail that that I mentioned. I I, mm-hmm. I I've ridden a bit of that, and well, I had I <laughs> ridden part of it. I walked <laughs> a bunch of parts because the climbs, lordy man, man, straight up climbs. But you know. yeah, fall line trails, 
Black Hills, we, we're kind of known, I've always said, welcome to the Black Hills, roll your watch back 20 years. And there's a beauty in that. A lot of our trails are old school. I always do the hang loose with my hand. That's how wide a lot of our trails are narrow, fall line trails, and just old school style. And, and, and Centennial has that reputation. It's a very difficult trail, 100 miles. Um, we don't use that on our course in Spearfish. We're a little bit further north of the Centennial Trail, but uh, the Dakota 5.0 uh, was, you know, 80% built by myself and a few other Ridge Riders. We, we built that trail and um, we do all the maintenance on it. It's a 50 mile loop and it is pretty rugged. You know, it's gotten more contoury over the years. We've put in some more switchbacks, but it's, it's still got the old cardiac climb, Recovery Ridge, Dakota Ridge, Hay Nectar, um, Twin Bridges, and all these little trails that are um, unique in their own flavor. There, there's a variety of fast parts, rock gardens, steep climbs, and steep descents. So the course has a variety, and it is pretty rugged. It is hand-built. It's not slow trail. It makes a really awesome 50-mile course. Um, you know, and we ran the same course clockwise for 13 years. 2013, um, we, we decided to run it in reverse. It was the 13th annual. We had the motto, is it a blessing or a curse? We're going to run it in reverse. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, and so we weren't sure how that would work out. We did it in a way. We rolled it out. There was some steep climbs. Um, Dakota Ridge up is two miles of um, steep climbing, we, but it worked out. Um, and now we alternate the course every year. So starting in 13, we did reverse. So odd years are in reverse. Even years are clockwise. Nice. And oh, that's so again, cool. Yeah, it'll be clockwise. And so it's pretty split on how people like it. They think it flows both ways, but um, clockwise seems to be a little pop, more popular, maybe. But some people choose the year they come on the direction we're going. Some people don't. Most people don't care. They just show up. Um, again, this year, uh, it's sold out in about just a little over an hour with 800 riders signing up. I mean, it's a self-imposed. I mean, it's a self-imposed cap we've had there since the beginning too, just to keep it um, from growing too much at once. Yeah, that means that Corey won in both directions. Corey Stelges just mm-hmm. since he mm-hmm. four times. Um, yeah. So, uh, so hats off to Corey again. Uh, Way. <clears throat> and so, who's the uh, who's the odds-on favorite in the ladies' division to? Uh, to win is there a- you know yeah we have a, a gal I think she's she was from Canada but I think she moved her name is Jenna Reiner oh yeah really- yeah yeah oh uh, yeah she's a she's won the fat bike Berkey a couple of times sure, I sure. think she's from somewhere up in the Northwoods there either on the Minnesota side or the Wisconsin side yeah. Yeah, she's involved in a bike shop, I believe, up there as well, if I remember right. Um, yeah. She's coming back. She's been, uh, she's won it several times and always uh, up on the podium near the top. Uh, oh, she wins every time she shows up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we That's what we used to say about her for Fat Bike Berkey, too, is she, and because of her familiarity of the course, because she's won the 40 so many times and she's from that area as was my understanding anyway jenna and, and i know she broke her femur so she's like coming back from from that okay yeah because she wasn't she didn't show up there for a few years and um and then she just last year was her first year back in a while and she took the win nice way uh, to go jenna yeah. up there too she started coming 
two years ago. Who? Sonia Pond, now Sonia Matson. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Sonia. Yeah, she's, I, I thought for sure she was going to win uh, Fed Bike Berkey this year because she, she won the Fed, Fed Bike Nats. But, uh, yeah. yeah, well, we yeah. had a new champion at Berkey. So uh, you told such a good story about the, about the Minneapolis Mafia. Um, do you have one more Dakota 5.0 story that maybe involves a bear or a, or a ornery wolverine or badger? Varmint story? <laughs> well, we're famous. We, this is open range trail. I mean, one of the big things about our course is there's cows out there, you uh-huh. know, and, you know, it's open range. Obviously, we can't do anything about that. So, a lot of times the leaders are, um, you know, confronted with cows on the trail and either going around them or uh, blasting through the cow pies, you know, uh-huh. as. Yeah. So, um, it's a, it's a, Throwing good time, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's yeah. I, I've encountered some some uh, open range cattle, and it can, it can be yeah. it can be interesting for sure. Yeah, you know they they're on trail, so that's that's part of it. We've had um, you know, we had a unicyclist do this the, the race one year. Um, that was pretty legendary, and. He got lost several times. We kept him on course and eventually had to relic take him off because he was pushing all the cutoffs and my volunteers would have been out there all night. But um, we've had, you know, tandems do it, obviously. That's pretty challenging single track for a tandem. But every year we have some of those show up, you know, and, and I think it was the early years. We had uh, the hobo camp the first two years. It was a, a, a hobo set up out in the middle of the woods. It was a little camp that you had to ride through and, that's where we had, we called it hobo camp and we had Twinkies the first couple of years and it was just a remote spot. Beer and Twinkies was the only um, aid there. And then, (laughs) uh, so I think it was 2003, we came up with the bacon station and, um, that's, that's been very popular. We had uh, hand cooked bacon there. And, um, so now that's growing into a huge deal, of course. And, uh, that was the early days and we were doing 10 or 20 pounds. Now we're doing 90 pounds of bacon that a fam, the whole family cooks it. Christian Baird, uh, one of my good friends, he's, it's been a family affair for them for several years. Uh, you know, cooking 60, 70, now 90 pounds of bacon, obviously. And they take it very serious when they cook the bacon perfectly. And, um, so it's a big event for that. We have music up there. So the Hobo camp is now the bacon station. And, um, you know, now races all across the country have bacon stations or bacon handups. And, um, we like to think it started here. Nice. Yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've, I've been to a well fat bike, uh, nationals. They had some sort of candied bacon that, that they were giving out and they had two ladies dressed as bacon dancing around and handing out bacon. So, yeah, uh, yeah. that's They're what bacon. you, that's what you started. <laughs> Oh yeah, we have the patented bacon anglers that Christian came up with. It um, after you leave the bacon station, there's twine with uh, clothespins and there's bacon hanging, you know, throughout on clothespins. So we got the bacon danglers we call them that are bacon hanging on clothespins, and then there's also the speed cups. If you're in a hurry, you can get a half a uh, half a stick of bacon and a half a cup of a beer, so you can um, hand up, yeah. yeah, hand up a half a cup of other <laughs> bacon. He's, this is genius. You're gonna have uh, you're gonna have world or you're gonna have nationwide chains of half a beer and a half a bacon. Just yeah. zip through. Yeah, we've had a lot of nations over the years, so um, 
Minneapolis. It's pretty fun. People look forward to making it to the Bacon Station. It's the last aid station right before the kind of, what is it, about 10 miles down from there? Yeah, it's about a 10-mile descent back to town from the Bacon Station. So a lot of people get there, drop their bike, and say, I made it. And then they're pretty content just hanging out at the Bacon Station the rest of the day and then coming in a couple hours later. So um, it is it, it is a high point on the course for sure and uh, something to see. Well, cool. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of stories over the years. Those are just a couple. Can't 22 years of it. Uh, you, you see a lot of mayhem out there. <laughs> I bet. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to be a guest on the show. Um, we're going to have uh, links in the show notes to 28 Below, the Pine Island Gravel Odyssey, and the Dakota 5 uh, all of you guys' race. Um, so uh, that's Well, yeah, uh, thanks for it's been a pleasure. We love talking about biking. Right on. Well, that's it for this show. Uh, thank you very much. We'll have those uh, links in the show notes. I hear my bike calling me. Adios, amigos. Adios. <laughs> yeah. See you next. Uh, see you at 28 Below. Well, that is our show. But we have a question for our listeners for our maybe next show or the next after the next show. But our question is, what do you change on your fat bike for summer riding from say, you know, in springtime, you're done with the snow season. What do you do to ride your bike the rest of the non-snow season? So slap that in the comments or email me at gomez at fat-bike.com. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Adios, amigos. Instagram at fastbike.com. 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 Fastbike.com.